the biggest achievements is when someone writes to me and says that it's because of my words that they're more confident in themselves to wear what they want without worrying about their skin. I hate being called an influencer, but if I am influencing in that way, it's all right. Carly, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. We've been wanting to make this happen for a little while. We have. But remember when we met at the at the tennis? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like, I didn't see any tennis that day. The only tennis I saw was like celebrities playing the celebrity tennis match. And you know, ironically, so where Carly and I met, it was the Australian Open, which is one of the biggest tennis events in the world. Carly saw no actual tennis. I, I was only there to see music. See, there to see music. And then the game that Carly came to see was the Pride game, which let me tell you, it's not an actual game. You've got a bunch of celebrities hitting a ball in the name of charity and it was umpired by me. So that should tell you how not serious <laughs> it was because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so, you know, I remembered meeting your mum and you at the tennis, but there's actually another interaction that I want to share um, with listeners because mm-hmm. I think these are really important. And I, you know, Carly and I have been messaging for a while now. So after we met yeah. in person, we had exchanged DMs. But yeah. there was a day where Carly shot me a message. It would have been in about June. And it mm. was in response to a video I had posted. And in this video, um, I had used a, a filter on my face that distorted the features on my face. You know, those filters that you can use on TikTok or whatever, and used it as a transition where the filter changed my face, the transition happened, and then it was me after. And I shared it thinking it was just, you know, here's a cool transition. This is what it is. And Carly sent me a DM and it was actually a a voice clip, wasn't it? So this is what the voice clip said. Hey, Maria, I hope it's okay to say, I saw this reel and got sad. The filter you've used emulates people with facial difference, intended or not. You're beautiful. You're a Miss Universe. Please let us just see your real face. People with facial differences don't have the luxury of getting rid of a filter to make ourselves look more beautiful in real life like this real does. I also articulated this a little more in a blog I wrote in 2020 for Face Equality Week. I write with love, respect and kindness and hope you understand. And to that point, so when I got that message, I was really horrified because I was like, okay, whoa, I didn't know anything was wrong with using filters like that. I always do it for a laugh. And I also thought, you know, how horrible if I've caused harm or hurt somebody in that way. Um, But I really appreciated how lovingly and respectfully you communicated this because it didn't come from a place of attacking. It was a, hey, I'm not questioning your integrity as a person. I know you don't try to hurt people it's it's not intentional but this is a different perspective maybe you could consider and so this is effectively what I responded with I never want to cause harm um, to you or to anyone with facial differences and I appreciate what you have to say and um, yeah I, I, I will I've never thought about you know filters in that way but I appreciate you taking the time to send me a message and tell me how you feel and I will definitely remove the reel and I'd be more conscious of the field disease in future. So I'd, yeah, thank you. With love, respect and kindness right back. Thanks. And so that was that, was that Carly. And so I, I imagine, you know, for those of you who maybe um, for whatever reason you, you have no vision of what Carly looks like, Carly, would you like to describe, um, you know, yourself and, and also explaining it's ichthyosis, isn't it? Yeah. What it is to, to listeners. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I have a skin condition called mm-hmm. ichthyosis mm-hmm. and I was born with it. There's no cure. It's a rare, severe skin condition. Um, there's lots of types of it. I have um, Netherton syndrome type and it is on the more severe end of the spectrum. It means that my face is really red. Um, my body is also quite red. Everything's affected. My whole body's affected, but my face is the reddest. Um, it's not necessarily the sorest though. Um, the My legs and arms get really sore. Um my face, um, I think it's the reddest because it's exposed to the elements and it's an extremity and it looks like I'm sunburnt. So I get a lot of questions about, you know, have I been sunburnt? Have I been burnt? Have I been silly in the sun? And I also get um, a lot of staring and comments and ridicule and discrimination. So, And I want like, to talk about yeah. that. I want to understand the kinds of comments because I've seen a lot of your content. I consume a lot of your content and how you mm-hmm. speak about this. But just to mm. come back to, you know, so now people understand what's a skin condition, how does it present? And so, Carly, when you then because I think you're quite um, a fierce advocate for, for facial differences. You're an appearance activist. And so mm. when you message people like this, because one of the things you said to me was you appreciated my response. Do you not get responses like that? Are people different to you? Like what, how, how, what is the spectrum of responses look like when you try to educate people on perhaps how their choices, words, actions might affect somebody yeah. with facial differences? Yeah. I feel like I've mastered the art of writing really kind feedback emails in everything I do, not just in my work on social media, but in my work at Melbourne Fringe. I'm access advisor there in my work um, as a writer and speaker and, and also like just as a friend. So I'm always really careful to word it in a way that isn't blaming, isn't isn't like assuming that you knew that this was wrong. And linking to other information, I can't remember if I, if I did that to, for you, but often I link to other information that sort of reinforces what I've said. Um, so like, here's something I've written earlier or here's a really great article, you know, on the ABC or something like that. Um, most of the time it's received quite well and people are quite apologetic or, oh, I didn't realise, I'll take it down, thank you. I've had, I've had a friend of like 20 two years or something just block me actually first it started with it I'm not comfortable with you talking about um the use of ableist language so ableist language is um disability slurs like the r word the m words the s word and other casual ableism and a content warning here for ableism like stupid idiot dumb they're words that are entrenched in our language but people don't realize that they've got an association with like a negative connotation with intellectual disability particularly. And you never use a disability slur as a compliment. So you can't say, oh, I didn't didn't mean it badly because you literally never use... But generally speaking, the word has negative connotations, but I think what people don't know is there's the connection to how they've been used in the past... Mm to mm-hmm. be discriminatory towards people yeah. with disabilities. Yeah. yeah. And even in the and even in the present, you know, like I mean in some some countries, you know, the word handicapped is still used or you know, um and, and in medical settings as well, the the R words used a little bit. Um I, and I so, can't understand the R word being used in any context and people not knowing. No. But no. And and so yeah, I, I remember about, I don't know, five months I reckon it would have been like five months before my wedding. So this was a few years ago. This is a friend that I had for, you know, many, many years. And she wrote to me to say how uncomfortable she was with me using 
um, me talking about the use of ableist language because she uses it all the time and she doesn't mean anything by it and she has a right to do it. And I what didn't really mean, know. Sorry, what do you mean though? Like what do you mean when she says I'm uncomfortable with you with what with you educating her with you educating people well, just broadly? educating like, broadly like I, I didn't actually at that time I didn't I didn't message her to say hey please stop using the R word I might have shared some content around the damage that ableist language does and um I didn't know how to respond I don't think I did respond at the time and she came to my wedding so that's how you know that's how close a, a friend she was and then I kept on thinking about her and we'd seen each other you know, maybe in passing a few times. She doesn't live near me anymore. And I um, I saw this really great article last year about how to respond when someone calls you in about using the R word. And I'm like, oh, hey, you know, I, I, I know that's been ages. I, I just didn't know how to respond. And I lose so many friends when I talk about this. This is a really great, um, you know, article about how to how to respond when a friend calls you in. She unfriended me immediately. No response, nothing. So there's that. Um, And there's also real defensiveness. You know, like I've I've messaged a few people and they, you know, if they might have used a, a filter or if they've done disability simulations. So that's like pretending to be disabled when what? you're not to demonstrate sort of like how disabled people might do something but so instead under, of getting but under, an, but under what circumstances would that so be instead required? of getting instead of getting like a an actual disabled person to do something to demonstrate how like the barriers they might do something in a wheelchair for a day when they're not ne- necessarily in a wheelchair they might wear, wear a blindfold to simulate blindness for example so you know like i've messaged someone to say hey you know this kind of errors on the side of disability simulation here's some really great work about that um maybe you can get a blind person in to do this or a person in a wheelchair and it's just like you know thanks it wasn't intended for you or whatever it's just yeah people are really defensive and then there are people that are really great like you and you know the artists I work with at Fringe and people who really haven't realized or maybe have realized and needed a confirmation that it, it wasn't the right thing to do so I think like I when I think back to conversations I've had, say, with family members, um, I have had those calling them in around language, you know, they've used for people with disabilities or whether it's racism, sexism. If you're someone who's listening and you've had that happen to you or, you know, you're worried that might happen to you, I guess a really important thing to remember is, you know, even if the person approaching you might be coming at it from a place of, you know, it, it's coming across defensively or aggressively or whatever it is, how you choose to interpret being called in it is up to you because ultimately like Carly like you might have shot me a message and it might have been aggressive or whatever it is however that might feel I'm still going to try and listen to what the core of the message is because ultimately you know in 2023 I think a lot of people are unlearning you know things we have normalized for generations like using racial slurs ableist slurs how we treat mm. people who are different to us and so no matter how you're being called in look it's it's very okay to not appreciate perhaps a tone that you don't like or whatever it is but I would encourage you to keep an open mind when listening to the message because it's an opportunity for you to change maybe things that you didn't know and that you do that might have a flow on effect and so I'm sorry that you you get those responses and that you've lost friendships over it but I think it's important to be true to you know 
who you are and what your lived experiences are and what you stand for. And so to come back to that then, you know, one of the things that yeah that I'm I'm conscious of, um, especially as, you know, as someone with friends with kids, my partner has kids and teaching, you know, teaching them things. You've mm-hmm. spoken about how you've been out in public and you've had people's children come up and, and point things out about you and maybe say things that they're not aware of. And, you know, what are some of those experiences mm-hmm. like? What do you get when you're out in public? I mean, it's pretty exhausting. Like it, it's interruption to the day. I would say now that my media profile is much higher than it was, you know, say five, ten years ago. It's much better um more people have asked me have i been on you can't ask that on abc or i love your outfit then um you know have you been sunburned but still it can be really hard and that so there's two things so there's there's what happens so there's the pointing the staring the questions like kids might ask you know what happened to her or why are you red or whatever and i'll say i was born like this like you were born with blue eyes but then it can be tiring if that isn't the first time someone has asked. So for someone like, you know, a stranger, it is. it may be the first time they've seen someone like me that day but or ever. But for me, it's, you know, maybe the 10th the time I'm answering that question mm. that week or that day. Mm. So there's that. And I might not always want to um, respond. Um, you know, and then, and then there's adults that are quite, you know, um, taunting or, laughing or ridiculing um and and sometimes kids are scared sometimes they run away or or they make a really big fuss and i find it really hard when because maybe their parents haven't um you know like prepared them to meet someone like me so they might not be looking on social media at people who are different or they might not be reading books about people who are different or watching shows and so that can be hard but then the other hard thing is if i choose to write about it or talk about it online it's the, oh, of course that happened. They hadn't seen someone like you before. Yeah. Or I doubt that that really happened. You were probably overreacting. They were having a bad day. It was, it's that kind of secondary ableism that can be really tiring as well. Of course. And, and I think for anyone who's listening, if you've got kids, I think then, you know, understanding, yes, children are innocent and, and people will say, like kids will say things that come to their minds. But I think a really important mm-hmm. thing to remember then is we as an ecosystem have a responsibility to educate kids and each other broadly, because I can tell you there are previous generations who don't get it either, educating each other on what, Mm. you know, our differences are. And I think, you know, he has this, Kylie, like this I thought was interesting. I've been around, I had a white friend and she was having some difficulty interacting with myself and another a number of other women of color in a certain setting felt uncomfortable did not recognize her own privilege being in the space that we were in and there needed to be several conversations around this and what emerged from that was that growing up she went uh, she lived in an area she went to school in an area where she wasn't necessarily around people of color and so she didn't grow up with an awareness of what things are like for us maybe the the privilege and and the differences in our lived experience and then also how to speak to us about these issues and so what then I think is it is so important if even if you grow up in an area like that or you're sending your child to a school where they're not around people with many differences expose them to books and media or maybe playgroups if you can where they are around people with differences because it's not just normalizing differences it's recognizing that what we often put forward as the majority what healthy looks like what normal looks like what beautiful looks like there are variations to that that we don't see and when it's not represented 
we don't uh, know how to deal with it. And so it Mm. brings me back to a video you just shared where you were dressed Mm. up as Taylor Swift, which was really (laughs) cute. And you were talking about Halloween. Do you want to share what that video was about? Yeah, sure. Um, So I I was watching the Taylor Swift uh, concert at the Moody's and I was like, oh, I have to do some posts about Halloween. Work has been really busy. And I thought, oh, I might do something like dressed up like Taylor Swift. And I have, you know, I've written countless stuff on on this previously. I'd written for it in my book and I've written about it um, online and spoken about it a lot. And so I just sort of put something together from what I'd previously said and added a bit more. Basically, I, um, you know, I said that my face and people with facial differences, people with disabilities, our appearances are not your costume. You know, there's a whole movement around um, racial costumes, you know, like race-based costumes and, you know, our culture is not a costume. So, and that, and that goes for facial differences and disabilities as well. And so I talked about how often when I see people, you know, adults and children, they can be scared of me. And so when a mask is made for Halloween costume of a scary face of someone with a scar or a burn or a facial difference or redness, then that perpetuates that fear and stigma. And for the people wearing those masks, they can take it off at the end of the day. They're not going to enjoy everything that I do and other disabled people do. And so, um, yeah, I talked about that and I talked a bit about at the end how, you know, that this is what I've chosen to dress up as for that video and I quoted um, Taylor Swift. It, it was like my most viral video. I've been online for very many years and it had like 514 views or something at the last look. Half a million, yeah, amazing. half a million views. On yeah, that video. <laughs> it's but amazing. You know it's because you were talking about something that I think a lot of people aren't necessarily able to connect the dots about. So if you're listening, I want you to imagine something, right? When you're watching a movie and you see maybe a monster or a villain, what sort of physical characteristics do you know? Do you often see in shows that perpetuate that? Like, for example, witches always have, you know, the really big noses and, and bigger noses are common to certain ethnicities. And so we start to villainize how that looks. Or like you said, scars and someone who's, you know, rough, like been through it and, and they try to use that to characterize a villain. And for kids in kids shows and things like that, that's almost always the case. And if you've never thought about it that way when it comes to people with facial differences or people with disabilities, well, I'll make a link for you. So what I often talk about is media portrayal of people of color. Often it's exaggerated stereotypes. I talk about how for South Asian people, it was always a poo. And so people thought we all bobbed our head and we had the accents and our mums wore the red dots, which are called bindis, but they'd be called the red dots. And so what you see starts to form these exaggerated caricatures of what people are. And so then you make those associations when it comes to people of color as well. Often in media, you might see them represented as, you know, token, um, um, when, it, when it comes to, I guess, South Asians, the smart one, the nerd, the doctor, the this, the that, and you don't see variation or you don't see them often put in a positive light. So similarly, when it comes to people who look different or people who have disabilities, the media portrayal, Carly, like it can really exacerbate stereotypes. Absolutely. Um, recently in India, I believe, um, on Netflix India, there was a documentary, I think, made about people who were born into places that were damaged by chemicals. So it was the impact of like waste yeah. and dirt and chemical waste on unborn children. 
And so some of these children, and it absolutely happens where people are born uh, with a disability because of chemical waste or polluted environments. And a number of people, including me, did some advocacy around this. Um, there are a number of people with ichthyosis around the world who made a video about how th this misrepresents them. And also I have a contact at Netflix Australia, so I contacted her and I um, asked her about it. She hadn't seen it, but she put me in contact with someone from Netflix India. The movie has removed the images of the people with ichthyosis. That's awesome. So while Netflix has removed the images and replaced them with more factual images of children who have been um, harmed by waste, the message is still the same. The message is taught to fear us that we're, you know, and I, and I say us in general, people, you know, disabled people and people with facial differences. I lecture at Melbourne Uni very casually, very like once a year, mm -hmm. and I do um, a media a media class. I teach medical students around the representation of disability in media, particularly genetic illnesses. And I have a slide where I show all of the different headlines that I found over the years about ichthyosis, and it's really terrible. Like we're all dehumanised. What's There's the worst like, one? What's the worst one you've you've read? <sighs> Snakeskin baby. There's one about. Um, oh. that, that they there's like mermaid woman, snake skin baby. There's parents that are like um, treating their child as a burden, um, you know, talking about how hard it is to wash clothes. And it is hard to wash clothes. But when you're in the media talking about that and the way your children make you feel, you know, that's that's not great. Um, and there's also, I'll, I'll find it for you. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them out. But, but, but it's also like when a, when a journalist approaches somebody without the condition or even with the condition to be honest if they haven't really had much exposure to good media they just blurt like the interviewee just blurts out what what they'd say at home and then it's there for everyone to see mm. here are some of the headlines are you ready it's yeah. really gross mother whose son suffers from incredibly rare fish scale disease says other parents tell their children to avoid him what? in case he's contagious there's one here and I just, I can't stop thinking about this one. It said, we're two rejects who found each other. Now, I know that's self-deprecating on the part of the person mm. who's talking about that, but also to be called a reject. Um, the article went on to talk about how the partner has had many other partners without a skin condition and they've all had some kind of mental illness in some way, which is not great say stuff like that so ichthyosis in the media is really terrible and that's why I made my own and that's why I wrote for the media for me it's just a simple thing you know when you hear like that fish scale one it probably shocked me the most the way yeah. that we talk about people in media and the way that we portray people with differences it has such a powerful effect on how we perceive an entire group of people and for anyone who doesn't get it like you know, we, we spoke about, I guess, w what I talked about in terms of people of color and things like that. But mm. it's just about being mindful about the media that you consume, but then also the conversations mm -hmm. that you have in the house. Because, like I said, mm. there's an ecosystem that requires everybody to challenge language, to challenge ideas, to challenge attitudes, because it's not okay. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there's a book that we're both in that... Yeah. Um, is really exciting and I didn't know that we were going to be in this book. We, I never received any information about it oh. until um, Antoinette 
Latouf um, posted <laughs> about it, which was, and it's called Not Here to Make You Comfortable. And I'm so excited that we are both in it. Like Taylor Swift is in it, but um, Michelle Obama's <laughs> in it. We are in it. Yeah. Um, but the thing that stuck with me was when, when I saw it, you know, when, when Antoinette posted it, there was a line in there that says that I suffer from ichthyosis and I've been so adamant to say I don't suffer with this. I, it's an assumption to say that I do. I live with it. I have it. I don't suffer. I suffer from the ableism and the stigma and, I, and the discrimination. And I fed that back to them and I said, you know, thank you so much. Um, if ever this goes to reprint, can you remove that? If there's yeah. an ebook version, please remove that. And they said, you know, um, we'll, we'll see what we can do. But I was just a bit disappointed that we weren't asked prior and that the language I used for myself wasn't reflected in there. And you know what that and, and it's, it's something as simple as that where the the way that we speak and the assumptions, the underlying bias that we have and the underlying assumptions we have mm. about what people who live with disabilities in any form or any kind of differences, what they might live with. I think it's so powerful to capture that you don't suffer from ichthyosis, you live with ichthyosis. And so, you know, as far as media portrayals and, and things like that go, um, this is something that you can't change about yourself and it's something that Mm. you know people need to understand it is just a part of your human experience it is just how your body and how your skin presents it is okay and it's different and to assume that um i think the language is laced with a little bit of bias but you can again call them in and i assume that if they do go to reprint or if there's an ebook it should be able to be rectified but with you know the, the flip side of the same coin i think it's amazing that you have been platformed in that book. It's a pretty yeah. cool book. Um, I know. <laughs> so definitely go out and get it. It's, it's 50 times that women did something cool to make people uncomfortable but in the right way. And it sort of ties into mm. our previous point about, you mm. know, you having to call in people and how have people responded. Whether it's nice or not, there is a sense of discomfort when you get a message like that because I thought I responded graciously but I was also uncomfortable but not because of anything other than, shit, this is something I need to change because I can do better. And so Mm. I want to talk about, I guess, something that's really important to me and something that I talk about is identity and it's talking about your self-concept and things like that. Mm -hmm. And as someone who I find it quite difficult and recognizing my own privilege saying this, but having done something like Miss Universe or a lot of my my work, whether it's modeling work, yes, all the modeling work I do is always tied to a campaign and it's something that I have to say, but I exist in an industry and in a world where very often, and especially for women, your worth and your identity and your self-concept and everything that you have to contribute, it's so often attributed to and tied to what you look like and so then Carly existing in a world that puts so much stock in your physical appearance how have you then challenged and broken out of that because your work encourages people to think differently not just about how they approach people with differences but you should be so proud that your work encourages people to think differently about their value as a human being but how did you get to that point where you broke out of what society has told you to change how you think yeah I mean I used to want to change myself all the time when I was you know in my teens and, and 20s and it just got tiring you know thinking that way and I don't know, something kind of switched when I found colour in my wardrobe, you know, like 
chose to dress really brightly and the responses that I would have would be a lot different to before. And also it made me feel really happy and I found a bunch of friends who also you know, like to dress in a similar way. So there was that. Um, one thing that I did a few years ago, five years ago now, was I created a show for Melbourne Fashion Week called Access to Fashion and I pitched an idea to them in 2018 and it was um, initially called Disability on the Runway and I pitched that we would have disabled models and disabled people working behind the scenes um, walking and wheeling on the catwalk and we did it. We had 19 people um, of different with different disabilities um, doing that. Um, we had it live streamed, which was, you know, it was before COVID time, so it was a bit tricky to do. We had it Auslan interpreted. Um, there was a performance by a disabled singer, Eliza Hull. Um, it was really incredible. So, you know, I did that to show that we are, you know, we make up so much of the population and that we enjoy fashion, that we deserve to be seen. And the other thing that I've been doing is, you know, just taking up space. I have, I used to do it when Twitter was better. Twitter's awful now. Yeah. Um, I used to say on um, like just a really brief tweet, I need to start doing again on Instagram. Um, I wore this today and felt fucking fabulous. And I did that because I, it's not expected that someone like me could feel fucking fabulous. And it isn't saying I looked fucking fabulous it says I feel fucking fabulous and it is about like the clothes that I wear make me feel fabulous and yeah I that that became really important to me because it was about showing up and it was proving to brands that I wear their clothes I buy their clothes you remember in 2020 around the time when Black Lives Matter got a lot of traction particularly in Australia there was the Vogue movement with um the vote the Vogue cover challenge do you remember that yeah yeah, so in the middle of lockdown, um, one night I'd had a couple of drinks and I tweeted, I'm like, I really don't know how to make a Photoshop cover of me on Vogue. Can someone do it for me? And um, a lady in Queensland called Karen made me this really great Vogue cover. And I'm a person of colour. I'm a woman of colour, by the way, just in case that wasn't clear Absolutely. to your listeners. Um, so I could take part in that. Yeah. And um Anyway, so she made this amazing cover and I put it out there and I, you know, said facetiously, hey, Vogue, call me. And then I got this email or maybe um, maybe an Instagram DM from Vogue to oh say, hey, we, we're doing a, a special issue. We want, we want to have you in the magazine. And so I was like, I don't ever, t- I don't talk about stuff before it happens just in case it doesn't happen you know yeah and but but I always tell my agent everything and so we're really close we're you know we're really good friends as well as having the agent author relationship and um so this bearing in mind this is 2020 you know in the longest lockdown yeah of the world um and I was like messaging my agent going oh my god there's gonna be a Vogue <laughs> shoot it's gonna be amazing there was no Vogue shoot. It was literally just me writing from my home. Um, so I had to, so I wrote a bit about that. And that, that was pretty amazing to be included in that. Um, and, you know, like literally just putting it out there to say. Well, you, you, manif- know, you quite literally manifested, manifested. When, And when I say manifested, those of you who know me, you know this. It's not just woo-woo, you just dream it up. Like you, you put something out there into the universe, you align your thoughts, energy and action. And you said just before, I deserve to take up space. I take up space. Mm-hmm. I dress yep. a certain way and I feel fucking fabulous. I don't need to look a certain way to feel fabulous. And I think for a lot of people, mm-hmm. identity and confidence can often feel like 
it's out of reach because there are prerequisites to feel Mm -hmm. like you have an identity you can be proud Mm -hmm. of that feels powerful that feels like it belongs to feel like you deserve to be confident in the skin Mm -hmm. that you're in and I love that you are redefining that for yourself and you're taking away the conditions and that's Mm -hmm. what I think is such a wonderful example for anyone, irrespective of whether you have facial differences, irrespective of whether you are from any kind of marginalized community. Um, I think it's really important that mm. you learn from that. You know, you mm. deserve to take up space as you are just Absolutely. because you are. And, and not I think, because of what's overrepresented. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've had, you know, huge achievements um, like an Order of Australia, like publication of two books and access to fashion. But I think, you know, one of the biggest achievements is when someone writes to me and says, that it's because of my words that, or my photos that they're more confident in themselves to wear what they want without worrying about their skin or their body to identify as disabled because I've given them permission to. Um, and that's like, you know, the biggest, you know, if I've done yeah. a, a good job and I hate being called an influencer, but if I am influencing in that way, it's all right. Of course it is. And, yeah. you know, one interesting thing whenever I think about identity as well I one thing that I have struggled with over the last few years and it's Mm. something that I am working through in therapy is conflating my identity with achievements and Mm. you've had some impressive achievements um, but I love that for you what you come back to is impact it's not about the shiny noms and and medals but it's about actually if I make a difference to just one other person that is everything to Mm. me and that Mm. is also something that has kept me grounded and so for anyone who's listening if ever you feel like you maybe aren't achieving enough to feel good enough or you are and maybe that's where all of your confidence is coming from I would invite you to maybe think about maybe just how you are affecting people and you don't need to be in our industry to do it you could just be having an effect with kindness on your immediate circles of influence that is still enough and I think the way that you make people feel and this seems to be um you know a recurring theme an undercurrent for this whole conversation the way that you make people feel is most important Kylie I think you give a lot of permission you give people a lot of permission to be themselves you mm. graciously call people in to learn and do better and ultimately if you're consuming content from someone or you meet someone that helps you recognize that you could make people feel better with changes to what you say think or do I think that's a wonderful opportunity Thank you. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I I get a lot of trolling online, like a lot, and a lot of it isn't on my own space. I've sort of locked that down. Um, but I also keep a file of, it's called Lovely, and every time someone sends me something nice that, you know, I'd help them in some way, I always put it in there. And I notice, like, I don't read it that often, but I do notice that the themes are, are about how I made them feel, not like how I looked or I what that. I was wearing it's always like you know you you made me feel this way or you changed my way and you know I got this message a few months ago from this woman who really grieved over her disabled daughter often in when a disabled child is born people grieve like that child's dead which is just mm. awful because mm. the child is living the child has so much potential and the person wrote to me the mother wrote to me and said that they have um read my book and they've changed the way they think about her now and the other I think the other thing uh, the other story I want to share in a similar vein was that last year a woman called Sarah wrote to me 
and she was pregnant with her first child and she found out through prenatal testing that her child would have ichthyosis. And that's like, it, it could either go two ways, right? When you have prenatal testing, it, it, it could either result in a termination or it could result in keeping the baby. And she wrote to me because she wanted to be the best parent she could to her son. And she wanted to find out as much about ichthyosis as she could. And so I wrote back to her and I said, congratulations. And, you know, here's some information about the children's hospitals, um, ichthyosis clinic. And here's some information about, um, you know, like support groups she could join. And I said, if she wanted to, here's my book to buy. And so we kept in touch and she was really thankful. One thing I said to her is don't feel guilty. Like this is a genetic thing. It's no one's fault. It just happens. Like this is just how it is. And she had her baby, uh, I think in February. And then oh, I got yay. to meet I got to meet him in Congratulations. April. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so great. And just to, you know, have that influence in someone's life and make make them known that it'll be okay and that this is something to celebrate, not be sad about. Um, I think we're meeting up soon, which is really exciting. That's awesome. So we'll see him. He'll be about, you know, like seven or eight months now. Um, and it's just really great to see these little children thrive and, see, and, and show see them what's possible. And see them received in a way where they're not treated like they're only less than or they come into the world feeling like a burden because of yep. something that's wrong with society. And something you just said, you said um, often – parents grieve when they've got mm. children with disabilities or things like that. Um, mm. I think it just is such a big reflection of the fact that culturally we need to change the way that we talk about people who are different because, mm. you know, the problem isn't the people with disabilities or, you know, it's not inherent in their disabilities, but it's in the world. It's not built to cater to them. And mm. someone who I think does this really and, you know, advocates for this as well, my partner, um, Moana, who, you know, you've been on her show, mm -hmm. I think as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. And Mo um, often, you know, shares a lot that she does with her sister Vinny. And one of the most, you know, uh, what I really loved was she just recently did this campaign or some work with Tourism Australia and around Phillip Island and she spoke and she's done stuff with NGV and every time she speaks about, you know, and highlights the good where, you know, at the NGV when, you know, her sister Vinny was served, she was treated with dignity and respect but why shouldn't she be? Or going to facilities at Phillip Island that were inclusive and that enabled mm -hmm. her to have beautiful experiences, why not? Mm -hmm. It's It's the way we treat people you know who are different and maybe might be living with disabilities that needs to change and I love that people like Mo like you you're doing incredible work that is having very real impact in the world so mm, it's beautiful you. yeah and there's so many great people and um, that your listeners could follow there's um Al Gibbs there's Alicia Matthews there's Renee Barker Mulholland there's um Alice Wong oh um the other day I saw that Selma Blair who is in America yeah. she has MS she's an act actor and she went to the Glamour Awards and she wore this amazing outfit and on the back of her jacket she had all the names of these incredible disabled women wow like like Alice Wong Judy Human, who died earlier this year who was incredible activist um she had Keely Catwells who's done some really great work recently with Reese Witherspoon um it was just such a great cool women lifting up other women moment um and there needs to be more of that and i think one of the things that i really get tired of is companies messaging me going hey carly we can't find any disabled people where are they one i'm not your disability rolodex like i'm not your phone book <laughs> but also two like disability why why aren't you following them already why don't yeah. you know where to look and it's why not like going to you to do 
the labor oh. would you believe and if you think that's outrageous guys i once had a makeup artist he messaged me a year ago and says hey i don't have any women of color on my page would you like to be a model for me but also like i can't find any who want to do it one um <laughs> what <laughs> and it's like don't if, if you want to genuinely support people who you feel are not represented appropriately don't go and expect labor from these people do the work use your privilege do the work platform them. there are so many yeah. thank you for listing so, listing them yeah. as well and also pay us like the amount of people that mm. i have like oh can i pick your brain i want to do an access plan i had someone the other day tell me how he's just got a new job and he's working on a disability access plan but he knows nothing about it and i'm like i should have gone for that job yeah, and and I think there's there's a real thing where don't treat people with disabilities or people who are different that you know you know if you're trying to platform them or you know you're trying to share their perspectives or whatever whatever it is just because there is underrepresentation it does not mean that people are going to do labor for free you know you should still mm. be like pay people equally pay people equally pay them what they deserve pay them for their value and mm. I, I think that's also part of the problem it's being extortionate in that way but carly if there is you know i, I want to end on a really positive note yeah. if there is one thing that you know you could tell your younger self or for anyone who is listening who perhaps does live with facial differences or you know wants to get to a place where like you they just take up space because they deserve to what is that advice that you would give mm. them I think it is just be your real self. Don't use a filter when you put yourself online. Show your authentic face. And even if it makes a difference to one person, and even if it's you is that one person that is making a difference. Um, I talk about how sometimes people hide that they have a skin condition or a facial difference. Like they go to great lengths to hide it. You know, they'll wear, um, and also disabilities in general, they'll wear like heavy clothes in summer to cover up or they'll, um, you know, use copious amounts of makeup and you can you can tell anyway and then that will affect their skin. Like being honest about your condition to yourself, I think is one of the biggest gifts that you'll give yourself. And also being honest about your condition to other people who love you and who you work with and talking about your access needs and making, you know, asking for them to be met so you can live your best life and do your best job. I think that's really important as well. But, yeah, being honest to yourself, like, it is really tiring to pretend that you're something you're not or be someone different. And so showing up authentically is really important. I love that, yeah. Carly, and I think Thank you. that's no, that's beautiful because, and you can round that up because I think for anyone who is on a bit of a, a self-love journey or evolving mm -hmm. your self-concept, the key word there is self. It has to start with you because the yep. world, you know, the reality of it is the world is not always built to support people who are different. Um, mm -hmm. And I think if you are not seeing the changes you need, be that change within yourself. And at the very least, you owe it to yourself to be honest. And, and I hope you find that peace in yourself in the way that you have. And until then, follow Carly um, because she's, she's, she shares a lot of content that is just aside from the advocacy. I love when you share your colorful outfits and things that Thanks. make you feel good and it's just joyful. So it's beautiful yeah. content to consume. And I've loved chatting with you. So Me too. And let's hang out in person soon. I was sad I didn't see you at the gallery. Like I, I saw you in our lineup of people and then you dashed off. <laughs> 
And then I know I'm always, I remember that night I was in and out, but I am very excited to see you at the next event. I think summer's yeah. coming. Maybe we'll see you at the tennis at again, the t- an actual match. <laughs> Maybe I'll see you again. Only if there's a band there. Only if there's only, a band. Only if All right. there's a band there. I'll sing to lure you there. <laughs> we'll see you next time, Thank Carly. you, Maria. <laughs> see you.